Our second scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 1 to 19. Listen with me for God's word to us today. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul, in, haul it in because there were so many fish. That, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about 100 yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask, you, ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter felt hurt because he said to Jesus, or because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to go your own, uh, you used to, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. 
O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Children, you have no fish, do you? This is how Jesus greeted them early that morning. He on shore and they still out on the water. That night they sat, their minds preoccupied, called to attention perhaps with a few tugs on the net, but still nothing. Everything felt a bit more tenuous those days than it had before, a lot less assured. What they thought they knew so well had become professionals at, that is, day-to-day life as disciples of Jesus. They were then having to re-examine, unsure of what it meant now. A way of life they thought they understood was changing. This was their first time out on the water in a while, or so we can assume. This was their first time out in a while, period. Jesus had just visited them, not once, but twice, in the room where they kept themselves locked away for over a week, traumatized and with internal conflict already brewing. Appearing among them, he had invited their touch to the broken and scarred skin around his wounds and had spoken the same words on repeat, knowing that once was not enough to break through all of the other noise in their heads. He said once, peace be with you. Twice, peace be with you. Three times, peace be with you. It was a trifold pronouncement that mirrored the command to Peter that came later. And two, the denial by Peter that had come earlier. And so it was Peter, surprise, surprise, who was antsy. Finally, leaving the safety of that locked room, they ventured out to what was the next best safe place, the waters that many of them knew like the back of their hands, the fresh air, the blessed darkness, in the company of one another out there, a silence settling in, broken here and there, perhaps by conversation that was relevant, or maybe just small talk among friends who knew there was more to talk about, just not yet. As the earth rotated to reveal the sun again on the waters, they were exposed in that new light, having not caught a single thing. Rather than see them frustrated or disappointed again so soon, Jesus appeared to them on that shore then, much as he had to Mary that first day of the week in the garden around about that same time. And they, like her, did not immediately recognize him. But beggars can't be choosers, and they took the advice that he gave. I wonder if we lean in a little bit further to that conversation for the details that aren't clearly spoken in the text, if we might hear some protest in that moment. Who does this guy think he is? 
we've fished these waters a thousand times before. We know what we're doing. It's not going to change anything, but <sighs> fine. Were those voices the quiet ones or the loud ones? For, of course, amidst these, there must have also been those who said, what do we have to lose? Sure, we could try that. What is it that convinced them? Despite all their years of experience and earned expertise and possible, no likely, circumstantial inertia, what tipped the balance for them to do what this stranger suggested? It's curious to consider, especially because all of these post-resurrection stories seem to come around on a similar theme, fits and starts of what it looks like to be the community of Christ on this side of sunrise that third day. Last week, we jumped ahead a bit to the apostolic community in Jerusalem. We heard a calling to public witness for followers of Jesus. Those who, though imprisoned and threatened, persisted to tell of Jesus, who came for repentance and forgiveness of sins, a direct contradiction to the violence of human power and principalities. This morning, we sit in the epilogue of John's gospel with the community of disciples who were again together and created anew at that cross. Informed by what they had done and seen, terrified, wondering if they should just go back and do what they knew so well before, we hear that even in holding everything they did in those days, there was an openness on their part, still. Whether it was fed by resignation or by hope or an intermingling of the two, their openness allowed them to see Jesus once again in their midst. It's Probably trite to say it, but sometimes it's important to say those things again and again that we think we already know. We do not like or choose significant changes in our community life, especially not those that come outside of our own will or ability to control them. It is even more obvious than to point out that whether or not we have liked it, this has been life for the last two years. From March of 2020, the whole world had to suddenly remake our routines, both personal and communal. There were no more casual trips to the grocery store on the way home from work. No more assumption that school was in session from September to June. No more taking for granted things like singing together or in-person worship together, or communion together, or fellowship together. Now and on this side of it all, we have an asterisk inserted into all of our plans. If begins most of the sentences as we make them, just-in-case masks have replaced just-in-case snacks in my car, 
When someone coughs nearby, the room tenses, and the preemptive statements follow. It's not COVID. I just got out of quarantine. I have the antibodies, or I just tested negative. These are allergies. I promise. And everything feels a bit more tenuous, a lot less assured. A way of life that we thought we understood is changing. What we thought we knew so well and what we had become professionals at, day-to-day life in community, we have had to re-examine with an openness to something new, whether we like it or not. More than anything, the invitation from Jesus to his disciples on the shoreline seemed to be just this. Surely Jesus was always asking those around him to look again, but the event of the cross and then the empty tomb, these were more than just crossing across to the other side of the lake to get the view from Gentile territory. It was more than just bending low to have those who sought to stone her actually see the woman who stood before them. All of these were merely precursors to that resurrection act, which invited, no, urged any who believe it to look upon the world and to see life where they assumed there was only death. Michael Mather is the pastor of Broadway United Methodist Church in Indianapolis. The story of Broadway is not too dissimilar to many other urban congregations once looming large in both size and influence in their cities, then slowly over time dwindling before the anxious eyes of the few who remain. As black families moved into the neighborhood, many white families fled to the suburbs finding congregations there more convenient to attend. The congregation that remained at Broadway or those who continued to drive in tried faithfully to engage their neighbors with the usual ports of entry, a food pantry, a summer program for kids, drill team practice on the blacktop, annual toy and clothing drives. Yet Mather said that things had changed Those who remained at Broadway saw what was happening but felt powerless to do anything about it. They were grieving. A way of life they felt they understood was changing. Mather was appointed, interestingly enough, to serve Broadway two times. The first time it was as associate pastor, called specifically to be a pastor on the streets, getting to know the needs of the community and marshalling efforts to meet them. Then again, after a 10-year appointment elsewhere, Mather was called back a second time, this time as senior pastor and coming back to the congregation and community he thought he knew so well, both inside and out. And this included the same anxieties for the future that were still being worried over, like a rough stone made smooth, slowly wearing away those who remained. If they could not grow, how could they maintain what they had? And what could they do with what they had to make it better so they could grow? 
in meeting after meeting and conversation after conversation with those who thought they knew so well how to do ministry in that place, Mather noticed this time something that wasn't being named. Perhaps they knew it so well, they could no longer see. He noticed a blind spot for what was already there. The programs, the people, the building, the neighbors, gifts, gifts that were abundant and waiting to be encouraged. A turn to the other side of the boat, an openness to hearing the abundance right there in their midst. Over time and careful practice, this moved them all to a new form of ministry, Mather included. From a faithful but wearying slog of meeting needs to a resurrection discipline of celebrating gifts. Making this change in his own perspective, Mather says that now he writes grant applications completely differently. He says that when asked for the needs of our neighborhood, I write our, that our biggest need is to be needed. If space is available, I provide a litany of the gifts of our neighbors and point, that the biggest, point out that the biggest challenge is finding a way to keep up with these gifts in our neighbors' lives. It becomes a liturgy of celebrating our neighbors. Of course, there are still needs, he says, but these are easy to see. The bigger challenge is being open to see and use well the gifts already there to help mitigate them. It seems like the smallest and most obvious of moves from port side to starboard, from needs to gifts, but there is so much that is invested in keeping us looking in one direction, supposing one outcome, stuck in one way of being, missing the abundance right before us or just on the other side, a new way of seeing what we thought we already knew, worried that in order to build back or to renew or to recover, we just need to get back to what was already done, maybe with a few tweaks here and there. When we are so stuck, sometimes it takes no less than the terror of death, the upset of a global pandemic, the grief of shuddering long and faithful ministries, to open us to Jesus in our midst however and in whomever he appears, calling us to consider again what we thought we knew so well. Here we may find, lo and behold, not only that our nets are full, the gifts around us are abounding, but there is a charge that awaits us. It is the charge that Peter receives to be continually reminded that it is our love for Jesus that provokes all else. Once, Jesus says, do you love me? Twice, do you love me? Three times, Peter, do you love me? 
a trifold question that got Peter to say yes again and again and again, deep down into his bones, that love weaved itself and was revealed in his actions. We know it is not our supreme ability to do what we do as church that drives us, nor is it our fidelity to what we have always done. It is not how well we can pull off the day-to-day programs and pastoral care that is the measure of our discipleship. It is not the size of our fellowship or the grandeur of our worship or the beauty of our building or the open heart of our outreach. But it is, in the end, the love that we have for Christ as expressed through each of these that is the mark of resurrection life. It's this love that first opens us to accept the invitation when it is extended to be fed and to have our eyes opened again, but more than our eyes, our hearts and our minds too, open to the abundance that lays itself out before us in this place, but not just here, in the streets around us, but not just there, down into the neighborhoods beyond us and farther, open to Christ who stands before us even when we do not recognize him and who asks us to love him beyond all else and let that love inform every deed, every change, every uncertainty, that which we know and that which will surely be revealed to us. Thanks be to God. Amen.